Hello and welcome to Soundtrack Showdown, our monthly podcast where we take two soundtracks, compare them across five rounds and declare an overall winner. Everybody, welcome. I hope everyone's doing well. I'm Ella Kova, and with me today, and, and as always, the amazing Tristan Kane. Hey, hi guys. For those of you who probably are joining us for the first time, that's who we are. We are um, film music composers. We collaborate and work on projects together, and we have been working on this podcast. About, this is our third season, yes, isn't it? Yes, we've been working for two whole years. That is amazing to think that just two years ago we were sitting in that tin little box out in White City Place in, in West London and talking about Psycho and Jaws. Crazy. I know, right? <laughs> well, I've been loving every minute of it, to be honest. Aww. You know, because it's... It really is, because it gives us an opportunity to obviously um, catch up, talk about stuff that we love, <laughs> um, which is film music, and also kind of really be kind of critical yep. um, about them in certain ways. Um, we're still aiming to try and have a proper hot-headed debate. I think we've had one or two. Yep, we're, we're still trying. We've had one or two, yeah, but mostly we just furiously agree. I know, I know. It's just, it's like, it's almost like our minds just like think alike and we're just like, yeah, we just, we just in tune. We just, we agree with each other too much. So this month's episode, we are going to be delving into the world of superheroes and comic books. And what better contenders to discuss than the biggest rival comic book publishers of all time, mm -hmm. Marvel versus DC. I feel like saying in the blue corner, we have the first comic book superhero and the indestructible man of steel music composed by similarly a force to be reckoned with mm. on zimmer yeah and and then in the red corner we also have the equally indestructible yet more ferocious anti-hero logan aka wolverine music composed by marco beltrami yeah, yeah. big fan of marco beltrami I mean, before we go into um, the rounds and discuss about our first mm -hmm. impressions of the film. So, I can't do this podcast without our usual spoiler alert. Spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. So, if you're tuning in for the first time, welcome, hello. And we hope you will enjoy our film music in sort of enthusiasm and critical discussion we have plenty more where that came from so feel free to scroll back and check out our other episodes um how many we've got now 24 and obviously if you don't want to miss our week monthly episodes um just subscribe simple as that and if you do like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms, um, as well as if you have any comments about our winners or if you'd like to suggest any future contenders, because I think it's quite nice to kind of get you got you get your the audience's input into who you want us to talk about. And you can get in touch with us via our website, which is tristellamusic.com or Instagram and Facebook, which is at 
Drysdale Music. Mm-hmm. Well, and just to add to that, the absolute best thing that the people can do is A, share us with your friends because that's the best way to, to get the word out about us is just share us with your various friends who like us. Sharing is caring. Sharing is caring. And while you're on our social media pages getting in touch with us, maybe like share some of the little advertisement um, things we put up on, on social media around around yours to see if anyone else is interested because that's, again, a really good way to get a nice spread and it's the single best way you can help us is just getting the word out because... We like talking to people, basically. And the more of you we're talking to, the better. Absolutely. If you love us, spread the love. Yay. (laughs) And just before we go on into talking about the rounds, (laughs) um, did you want to talk about what we thought of the films? Sure. Why not? So what were your thoughts of Man of Steel? Man of Steel. I I saw this film when it came out. 2013. Yeah, I saw it actually. I actually did see it in cinema back then. Um, Why? Why? Yeah. Because you're not really into superhero movies no, as much. That was before it became completely super saturated. Mm. I vaguely recalled thinking it was okay then. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Watching it now, it's such a messy film. It's just a pure film. It's, it's one of these films where, like, a lot happens and it does a lot of exposition, but nothing seems to connect properly. If if you know what I mean, like yep, I know that there is a bit like there's a bit of a a thing about how the origin story movies are always a bit messy, which just begs a question: Why do we keep doing it? And how, despite having had origin films for what twenty different superhero movies, they're not getting much better. Yeah, same. It's it's funny. You watched it twice. I for me, when I watched it the first time, yeah, I, I was. I was bored. I, I I think I was texting you saying yeah, like, you why is this so long? <laughs> you were. And there were quite a lot of texts because there's about two and a half hours worth. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just a bit like I was, which shows that I was not engaged yeah. for one thing. If I kept having to like message you about it, just complaining, yeah. saying, hey, it's too long. I don't understand what's going on. Total, total mess. No. I think just I think the film, as you say, was for me was too serious for its own good, mm-hmm. um, and in comparison to Logan, which was also a serious film, but Logan actually feels more like a Batman movie in some respects, and he's much darker, broodier. Everything's so grim. Everything's like you know, death is never too far away. Yeah, get ya. Go on. Is the last film that Logan, um, Hugh Jackman, who plays Logan. Plays a character, hmm. so love huge, love. Huh? Huge. I love y- huge. Huge. Yeah, sorry, that's the that's the Australian nickname for Hugh Jackman. Huge. Huge. Oh, really? oh okay. Yeah, we, we we have to shorten everything within an inch of its life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Rusty is Russell Crowe, and huge for Hugh Jackman. <laughs> Why? Why? It's it's just a cultural thing. We have to shorten it. But Hugh, so like it's because he's huge Ackman, Hugh Jackman. I don't know. Mm. It's just a thing. But and then Chris Hemsworth just Hemsworth because he claims all the Hemsworths because the other Hemsworths are you know like nothing. Uh, mm. <laughs> you guys are really dominating like the film industry lately, haven't you? In the sort of superhero realm. Pretty much for action stars, for like yeah. big action movie stars. Yeah, uh, we we do very well out of that. You must I mean, be so proud. We are. I mean, th- seriously, the last kind of actors to really win Oscars for these sorts of films, Mel Gibson, who grew up in Australia, uh, mm. Heath Ledger, 
Russell Crowe. Like, yeah, we we kind of have this you're, thing down pat. You're doing good. Yeah. Shall we talk about our rounds? Sure. So the rounds are round one, main character theme. Round two, villain. Round three, action. Round four, emotional moment slash breakthrough. And round five, legacy. So without further ado, round one, main character theme. So let's do what we normally do and do them in chronological order. Also kind of, you know, origin story order. And start with Man of Steel. And we're listening to Flight. see what it's going for like it's got the obviously the bass guitar and then they've added and he's got the brass in there it's meant to like really hit you right in the heart you know it's like Mm. because it's uplifting it's hopeful he's trying to do the same thing he did in the dark knight by making it as dull as a dark knight theme but i don't know like the dark knight that works that little just semitone d d sharp thing it just it works because He's dark and he's broody, and whenever you see um, uh, Batman, it's either him, like, you know, standing on top of a building just staring off into the distance, or it's like you're in the, like, villain's eye view and they're going along and he sort of comes in, and so it's almost like the Jaws theme coming in, which is also a semitone difference, right? So Batman's very much about the, the fear of the Batman arriving, where... Superman, that's not his shtick, really, particularly not their Superman. Like, there are potentially some Supermans where he's standing on top of a building, but he doesn't, he doesn't like, brood on top of a building like Batman. He stands, you know, fists on hip, you know. (laughs) Your your classic Superman arrival is, like, flying in from off screen and, you know, saving saving Lois Lane. Like, how many times does Lois Lane fall in this film? Like, it's over under five, right? And this theme doesn't fit that. Well, interesting that you said it because I, yeah, he's almost meant to be a beacon of hope. Yes, that's the point. But in shot to shot, he's not. And I Uh think that's the problem. Like, thematically, fine. 
But in terms of how you act, and this is what normally Hans Zimmer does so well. Like we've talked about it before. This is what the third or fourth Hans Zimmer film we've spoken about. Like we really need to stop. But like Hans Zimmer sits down, he writes a suite of music and presents it to the director often before the film's even shot. And then they can play it on set, which is great for green screen. And they edit to the, to the music and it's great. I feel like this time there was a huge disconnect between what they were going to do in the film and what he wrote because it doesn't fit the scenes. It mm-hmm. doesn't fit him flying in from off screen and saving the day at the last second. Like, I'm just going to play now the John Williams, like, seminal Superman theme. Here it is. is the music you need for someone flying in and saving the day it like it rushes in it's it's like so obliquely heroic and strident the like the emotional feeling you get is just and i know you, this may not be your favorite music but the emotional feeling is just like yes superman's here everything's going to be okay right like yeah. it's, it's oh, just no, he's I arrived agree yeah it's the cavalry arriving it's just that big heroic moment where it's just like Like, it's it's like the orcs arriving at Helm's Deep. It's more ominous than it is heroic. It just, it just doesn't fit the moments. It needed that really lovely action kind of a fanfare rather than just... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you? <laughs> no, no, I completely agree with everything you said here because this is what I wrote in my notes. Simple, impactful mature brooding yeah but i don't know (laughs) i know but i don't know who he is yeah yeah it's like in terms of the musicality it's all that all those four descriptions that i gave but Mm -hmm. i don't know who the character is i don't get superman because i have an idea of superman where he's meant to be more of like a goody two shoes or yeah and it's but it's empty there's no character development like it sounds alien but boring that's a really good point actually of if you got some kid who'd read a lot of comic books but had never seen a movie and you played them a whole bunch of themes from from superhero movies like how many would they get um, I reckon Batman, you'd have a chance. I reckon that old Superman one, you'd definitely have a chance. Mm. Um, this one, no hope in hell. Because <laughs> it's just, it doesn't feel like it's a character theme in a weird way. No. So then moving on to Logan. And the track that we're listening to is Main Titles.
obviously Logan is about mainly about a man discovering who he truly is and what he's meant to do with his life or as meant uh, what he was meant to do with his life and the importance of love at the end of yeah life I guess yeah and I do feel that a the film and the music and definitely captured the struggle of him trying to um, just find himself because he was initially made a beast and he's fighting this internal and external battles every day just to kind of figure out who he is and he's always been having these moments of people who are trying to connect with him and it's almost like he's trying to he wants it but he downplays it or he rejects it because he doesn't want he has a fear that he's not able to control the animal in him yeah so for me obviously this track i really like this track um i feel like it really does kind of capture the fragility and decay um it has a sort of modern western rock sort of element to it and it's lonely it's rough it's broken it does remind me of the track Hurt by Nine Inch Nails, but the Jolly Cash version, okay. um, as, as though it was played by a piano, which funnily enough was actually used as the male trailer music for this film. Um, so I'm not surprised if it was used as an influence in some ways. Um, I do find that the piano is very quite, it's quite mysterious and it's bluesy. Yeah, that long but reverb, yeah. Yeah. Another thing for me, I do find that it's quite, there's an essence of stubbornness to it. Yeah. For me, in that you want it to be the intro to a hero and you want it to rise to be like a heroic sort of moment. But Wolverine and and Logan is constantly playing it down and it's it's totally him, the style of music. Um, I think this this style of music is the first time you actually hear that's true to his nature and you really feel that it's him right down to his core because he's always been troubled, he's always been independent, and he's always been a bit of a drunk and aggressive and it's he's always been living by living by the lone wolf code. So this music for me really kind of illustrates it like down to the T. Look, yeah, I mean basically agree. Um, I just feel like there's a weight and torture to this theme. You can you can feel the toll that the years have had on Logan, that he's, amongst other things, he's just tired and there's not that much heroism left. Um, not that, I mean, Logan was never really your classic hero anyway. He was always kind of the one who didn't turn up late because, like Superman, he needed to make a, you know, diva-like entrance at exactly the right moment. He turned up late because he was off, getting drunk somewhere else and didn't really care <laughs> just kind of like wandered into shot kind of thing um that's always been his deal um it's a very narrow winding theme um which i like it sort of feels like it's sort of tightening and winding its way forward i love that yeah sort of western guitar harmonica type sound it, it, it's got a real kind of west world kind of a thing because you just got that very wet classic western morricone type sound mixing with it's sort of like yeah, what you described is kind of like rocky. I'd call it almost like a modern gothic, new metal-y kind of sound. Um, I like it. Which do you think's better? In terms of characterization, for me it would be Logan, because I I, I got that it was Logan. It was Logan. Like I like I said, I, I didn't get that it was Superman in, in the track. 
Yeah, I think the, this Wolverine, like it's very character focused, very character driven, and this theme fits his character so well. Moving on to round two, villain. For Man of Steel, we're going to be talking about and listening to I Will Find Him. And here it is. What did you think? So this movie was like two and a half hours long, and I would not say that watching it, I picked up that there was a villain theme in this movie. <laughs> no, not at all. Like I. it just... <clears throat> like, it kind of washed over us, didn't it? Yeah, you, you listen to it afterwards, and yeah, like um, Zod, Michael Shannon, he has these kind of pretty decent villain moments. So particularly this I Will Find Him is right before he gets like sent off into the convenient black hole that saves his life. And like they were frozen technically. So I was just be like, why are you complaining? You're being frozen. So you're going to look young when you wake up compared to everybody I else. Know. It's, like, it's like you're going to be jailed in this and it will feel like no time at all for you. Yeah, like, stop your bitching. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Don't be so dramatic. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so there was that thing. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so he gets his big thing where he threatens everyone and stuff, but it's just, eh, it's so generic and it was, okay, it was less generic then because Zimmer was still playing with it, but it's just the big drums, the choir and his brahms. It was just, when we talked about Black Panther a year ago, like Killmonger's theme, it wasn't that interesting per se, in that, like, it was just drums and some electronic sounds, right? But it had such as what I would call, like, a sonic fingerprint. Like, its particular combination of sounds was just so different from everything else within that film and also so different from everything else you've heard before, really, because it had all of the sort of, like, unusual African sounds and some interesting wailing and, and all sorts of things that it 
you kind of hear it and you go, oh, that's interesting. I've not heard something like that before. I'm going to link that to the thing I've just seen with it. Like it, it just sits as a theme for you, yeah. even though it's not like the Superman fanfare where like even though you, we've all heard many, many trumpet fanfares, you, you hear a trumpet fanfare with a hero arriving on screen, you kind of automatically go, okay, that's his theme. That's fine. I'm, I'm all good. I think when you're wanting to be more subtle, and I know that that is the fashion now, but if you're trying to be more subtle and have one of these like low-key themes that just kind of like sits there as a soundscape rather than a strong melody, as it were, you've got to be more distinctive. And this just is not distinctive at all. It just it has a generic tension and that's it. For me, it was just the fact that if if you're not able to elevate and give a very distinct theme, hmm. you should at least try and channel and showcase his villainness, his his him as a threat through the music, through the tension book. And I didn't really get that. No. Um, and I think one of my issues is the percussion use. Okay. It's not so much being used in this track, but there's another um, track that where um, you get Zord's theme in. I know that Hans Zimmer was using it as an experiment to say, oh, what, what, what would it sound like if we have 12 most amazing drummers in the whole world play at the same time but they all each of them gives it their own sort of unique take on the same playing the same rhythm and i get that's what he was trying to do yeah. yeah and i get it i get the concept the execution was flat yep. and it was excessive in a film music soundtrack for me I think the only time where that sort of experiment actually worked best was during the fights sort of war scenes at the, right at the beginning of the film where the spaceships were shooting to em- like all over the place because they really emphasize this magnitude of the attacks and the um the sort of the chaos that's you know that's happening that's coming from all directions like and his theme just gets lost in all of it you know yeah. it's kind of like and I think it deprives the whole film of a villain really ah, I just, yeah i just want to know who's the hero who's the villain how how do they fight how is this going to go down bam have fun and also like, should that's, i that's be afraid of them as well yeah that's all you need and i feel like it just sometimes this film failed on that basic premise of who's white hat who's black hat which door do they fall through do you think in some ways they were trying to incorporate some sort of an emotional tack to him because the fact that he is trying to preserve his his kind that he, they were trying that and they missed hopelessly yeah well then moving on to logan <laughs> yep so because i have nothing else to say to it i yeah. mean because i've it's just it kind of went over my head i didn't get i, did, I wasn't terrified okay no. and i want to be scared i want to know that you're coming in that you're a threat that you're going to do something mm-hmm. Like, I want to be rooting for the other, for the good guy to destroy you. Yeah. Or, you know, loving, loving, the, loving the villain. Because back in the day, we used to love to love the villain. But it, he was impossible to like as a villain just because he was just so meh. Anyway, yes, Logan, let's stop talking about things that we don't like. <laughs> so Logan and the track that we're listening to is X24.
Oh my god. Terrifying. Yeah? For me, yes. Um, like, obviously, when the music kicks in, because I know at the beginning it's kind of, it builds the tension, it's quite quiet, right. and then when the mu- when the sort of the drums and this, I don't know what you call them, this weird sort of brassy sort of electronic quality to it just work, when they come in, they're like, it's just gargantuan. It's like yep. this animalistic growl, and it really shows the contrast of man and beast, and it's like gut-wrenching. Um, okay. For me, like I found the music really showcases what Wolverine is afraid to become if he gives into his nature. Because cool. the X twenty four is basically all rage. Yep, he's got no, em- he's no, he's got no empathy. He's got no sort of. Yeah. For anyone who can't remember, X twenty four is like a new prototype of Wolverine. Yeah. So it's it's still Hugh Jackman, just angry badder and just angry (laughs) angry. basically like you can't soothe them you can't tell them like it's okay do some meditation change your mindset it's all it's you know there's none of that (laughs) Um, you'll rip your face off yeah and yeah i think it's great for a villain track like Mm -hmm. there's just it feels like there's no reasoning with rage once it's past a certain point and you kind of get that with the music like you can't control it yeah you know um okay you? Uh, look, initially I wanted to not like this. It felt to me a bit like a, a less well-executed copy of that track Beast from Sicario because it's trying to use the same kind of ideas. But the more I listened to it, and like to be honest, again, I'd seen this film before, so I would listen to the music first when you suggested the track and then I went back and watched it in, in sequence. And watching it back there i got a whole lot more appreciation for it because it's he does achieve it very well and it's a very distinctive sound in the context of this film because it's nothing like the rest of the sounds which is what i'm talking about with the the um the zod one like in this case he manages to create that level of distinction so you know the moment you hear anything like this that that's X-24 mm. and it really kind of pops and it works. And th- the other thing I really want to say is, so we talked about like back when we did the Jaws, back in episode one about how, well, Jaws and Psycho for that matter, about how like low growly sounds are the sounds of predators, mm. like the sound like the, the growls of things that want to eat us. And high-pitched screams like in Psycho uh, sound more like the cries of a of prey yeah right and like that these were the two kind of main pillars of of kind of horror and fear writing watching it in the film so the music is all the deep low growly stuff but both there's a couple of scenes where they use this music and another one called grim reavers i think in both scenes laura herself screams Mm. so you actually get the pairing of this deep rumbly growly music with her screaming and that really brings it together because then you've got the full combination and they they're they're genuinely quite powerful i i really dig it i think it's very effective even though it's not a memorable theme and it's not even particularly original it's just perfectly executed which is really for a movie like this and a scene like this it's all you need to do so winner for you obviously logan you too yeah, I mean, it's the same. It's just I think you could hear my enthusiasm more for X24 yeah. than the other one. <laughs> Moving on to round three, action. 
Let's start off with a track from Man of Steel, You Die or I Do. So, pretty much all I have to say for this is great drumming. <laughs> it was the 12 of the best drummers in the world. There you go. I For me, I just feel like, <clears throat> and like Junkie XL was his kind of like consultant on the drumming. Um, I noticed from the credits. And I just like, I just feel like this is the beginnings of the blueprint that turned into a much better score in Fury Road. But it just doesn't bring any Superman. It's It's a nice sound. I guess he should be generic because he's just, he's kind of like the ultimate superhero for mine. Like he's just such a superhero, superhero, but he needs to be like, he needs to be like Captain America, basically like 120% superhero. You know what I mean? Like he's too superhero for his own good. That's kind of the point of Superman. Again, this film keeps coming back to this point of, I don't revere Superman particularly. I find him a bit dull, but this is just wrong. So, in terms of the action, did you feel like the music helped elevate the action in any way? No. No. So, okay. So, yes, this is the the other thing I'll say is, like, I think this film actually might be when I started to fall out of love with superhero movies. Not that I ever particularly liked them, but I used to like the Batman movies, right? Because in the 90s, that's all superhero movies was, was Batman movies and Blade. Um, So, this is something I I did sort of note down. Like, I don't know if it's just because I was getting older or if it's, like... Or if something changed, I prefer to think that it's something changed in how filmmaking happens. But I find if I'm like flicking through channels, as you do sometimes, you know, and you, you like you flick through the um, the movie channels, whatever. If I come onto one of the like big films of the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, so like Gladiator, Braveheart, the Rocky movies, Lord of the Rings, if I flick onto one of them and one of the big action or battle sequences is about to start, right? Like you're there, it's like, oh, it's, you know, we're about a minute before Helm's Deep or it's getting to the end of Rocky and he's about to have the big fight with Ivan Drago, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you, you get to that scene and you're just like, oh, no, there's a good action scene coming up here and you tend to stay, right? Like you tend to look at it and you go, There's you anticipation know for it. There's anticipation, there's building and you're like, you know, you, you're coming back and you remember the film. You know you know the film and you know what's coming out and you're like, 
you know what? I'll watch this one more time because I, I remember like this is this is a good bit. You know? There's almost like <laughs> a war call to it. Yeah, and you, you stick with it. You you stay there and you watch it and you like and you might actually then wind up watching the rest of the movie because you just kind of like get caught up in the moment because those moments were so good. Mm. And I just remember sort of thinking whilst watching this film that I had watched before. So exactly the same experience like as it's getting into these action sequences and it would be the same for literally any of the Marvel movies, like every single one of them. Like if it was beginning to start one of the action sequences, I'd be like, meh, flick. Like I just do not care about any of the action sequences in these movies. Not a single one. They are all boring. Interesting. I'll disagree that... (laughs) It's, Please do. I, well, I disagree that all Marvel films in the last of the Marvel Universe films are generic in that way. I think for me, there's some... What's Mar- a good action scene from the Marvel movies that you that you would watch that if you were like, oh, that's about to start, I'll watch that? Um, so for me, it was Avengers Infinity Stone. So when Captain America comes in, when he... When you see him in the shadows and the, this uh, spear gets thrown at him, and then obviously you, it's it's quiet, and it starts off with his theme, the da 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 and then mm-hmm. the action scene of start, uh, continues on with the um, introduction of uh, Black Widow, and they have a fight with the aliens there and stuff, and also in the same film the end like when they were fighting and it's wakanda the anticipation the lead up to it the magnitude of the threat okay. the fact that are they gonna make it or not yeah, for me fair uh, i wouldn't but no fair enough i, I think I they, get you. that's probably one of the more memorable but ones for me the music worked in those yep. films in those moments because there were definitely moments where you know you had to take a like a deep breath to be like oh my god is she gonna make it is he gonna make it and then then you have the entrance of another character who then kind of demolishes everybody, you know? So, and you just, you root for them and it's all in time with the action of um, the attacks, etc. And it does elevate it. So for me, there are some Marvel films do. Um, okay. This one didn't. And I agree because it was just, I, as you, it's back to the comment that I made in the previous round, how the, I found the except, the use of the drummers as excessive and unnecessary because it didn't you couldn't appreciate it sonically wow, that's the one thing i liked about this track <laughs> i know well for me i just felt like it's just drumming a lot of drums yeah, and rhythms fine but i felt like for me the experience it would have been much more enjoyable if i saw it live okay because i did fine. i couldn't hear it all i just felt like oh it's very very loud yeah and complex yeah. you know Okay, Logan. (laughs) (laughs) Logan. So the track that we're going to be talking about is called El Limo Nator.
So for me, in terms of the Logan's action track, for this is when their um, R- Logan is basically trying to escape with everybody, uh, primarily Charles and Laura. In a limo. In a limo, yeah, in a very broken up limo. And it's the music, I think, is brilliant because it really it gives you a sense of chaos. It's so mm-hmm. chaotic. The scene itself is so disorganized. But I mean, like, in terms of what the characters and the action, the action that takes place. Yeah. Um, because it really reflects Logan's state of mind, how he's really quite haphazard. You know, he's just, he doesn't think, he, he just throws people in and just kind of like, a, I'm dr- we're just dr- just trying to get out of here as quickly as possible. Do you know what I mean? Working out as it goes along, yeah. Because I mean, like you get some action scenes where they're very slick and there's a flow to it and the music is usually pretty steady. It's, it's on beats and there's like various developments to accentuate the edits and guide the audience emotionally, like their emotional state. And I say guide here because in this music, this the manic jumping around sonically with the various instruments coming in and out from the strings, trumpets and beat. It just reminds me a little bit of Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. It's yep, madness. Sure. And then there's a moment in there where I absolutely love, um, there's a sort of a Rimsky-Kosakov's Flight of the Bumblebee-like string riffs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, and it does remind me a little bit of Sicario as well. It's mm-hmm. like, it's... Uh, because of the sort of the tonality, the sort of moodness to it, the palette really yeah. reminded me of that. Um, but I also I liked also the jagged sort of discord dissonant piano yeah. riffs as well. It just gave it this really yeah. It just gave it this really weird texture to it that really actually stood out very well in the film in the scene. Because most of the time with action films, it's very lately though lately. It's very hard to distinguish a sound or a melody during an action mm-hmm. scene, particularly in superhero movies. Whereas here, it really did stick out. That made me feel like, oh, that's a very weird sort of quality element there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it worked. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think it's it, it works for all the wrong reasons. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't, and when I say for the wrong reasons, because of this sort of chaos and mishmash of things and you know how it just it makes you it puts you as an audience in and unease it makes you feel unease and anxiety okay for me okay okay you the main thing i sort of say against that is like do you want to feel grounded in action scene i like i like the idea of the of the chaos i think one of the problems with the the zimmer thing is that he writes the suites and they just have this long build to them which christopher nolan has used so well in things like the batman movies and obviously dunkirk of this like constant ticking crushing inevitability but that's only because it works in those movies it doesn't work in a, a film why am i talking about superman again but it doesn't work in a film like superman where it's a lot more chaotic mm. superman flies in out of anywhere um marco beltrami on the other hand though getting back to who i'm actually meant to be talking about is a master of that stuff he's a master of the chaos when i was um studying how to do action writing sort of at university. Beltrami was one of the main people they showed, like his scores for some of the Die Hard movies and it it works. And yeah, Beltrami, he's very good at this like uh, 
not only does he bring in lots of sort of industrial electronic type elements but he brings in the jazz fusion the uh, the trumpets and the guitars and the janky janky piano from the 80s action movies he brings all of those together in this like crazy chaotic mess and it sounds simultaneously old school but it also like these techniques are used because they just work mm. you know like they just they they create a mood as you say they create an atmosphere where you just like literally anything can happen so it doesn't matter if two seconds later a helicopter starts flying in and blowing shit up like of course that fits the music that's not a problem and and also unlike Zimmer who like he writes it and then the scene is cut to it Beltrami clearly is writing to the cut. So the scene has been done by the editor in a way that matches the movements correctly. Everything, Everything is perfect from the editor's point of view. And then Beltrami comes in and he just brings out those little details and just makes it all come together. And you get something like this. Like this is such an old school scene, this kind of car chase, this sort of messy car chase where it starts off with a not even a plan but like you you know okay he's in this car the enemies are in those like bikes and vehicles and he needs to get through that fence and onto the highway in a way but you also get the famous um sorry tomorrow you also get the very Mm. cliched um sort of anticipation of are they going to make getting over going over the the train tracks yes it's such a cliche it's such a trope yeah, this is full of tropes. This whole scene is full of tropes, but it just, it mixes. But I, And that's the thing. There's nothing wrong with a trope, you know? Like, you just need to have a little bit of difference and a little bit of suspense of, I've seen this before, but I don't know how it will play out this time. Mm. And that's all you need. Like, Mad Max Fury Road, like, it's not that original, but it just that incessant car chase, this constant two-hour car chase is thrilling because it's well executed and it has just enough twists to an otherwise very overdone genre that it works. It's the same with Baby Driver. They're just classic car chases that we've seen since the 70s. Um, and you can argue till you're blue in the face as to which film did it better and everyone has their own opinion, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which one you preferred before or whatever. You're still going to enjoy seeing this one for the first time because it's fun and it uses interesting music and it just it changes it up like about 5% but keeps in the 95% that is essential to being awesome. And that's all it does. And, and I kind of feel like that's what Beltrami's done here. He's kept doing the same stuff that he was doing in action movies in the 90s and he's added some very... Johan Johansson type sound effects that clearly seems to have been part of the goal of this score to make it a little bit more Sicario-like. Um, I think purely it was because of the setting. Well. I think they probably used, it was because it was set in Mexico, I think that kind of many Agreed. influenced the sound as well. Versus um, it's gritty and realistic and it works. I like it. And clearly I'm voting for that. So, you know. I don't need to say anything more myself. So moving swiftly on, like Logan is actually really killing it so yeah. far. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, three rounds. <laughs> yeah. Go into them. Okay, then so moving on to round four, emotional mm-hmm. moment slash breakthrough. For Man of Steel, we're going to be referencing both um, Tornado and Goodbye My Son. Okay. Here it is.
goodbye my son out of all the moments in the film I, I did feel it was much more touching mm-hmm. it does reek of innocence with that creepy lullaby melody and there is a sense of loss to it I guess but it was a little bit on the, on the nose for me Hmm. Um, I did get a sense of emotion, like an anxiety of, you know, the child having to be given up. And, you know, his theme is kind of, it is entwined. And, you know, there are soaring moments of when he's being lifted up, which is meant to, is make the audience pull at their heartstrings. It's... In comparison to Tornado, for instance, where is the scene where um, Kevin Costner's character dies, sacrifices himself. Rescuing a dog. I know. Well, hey, hey, you can't let a dog die, okay? If you love your animals, you, they should be taken consideration to be saved as well, okay? Okay, um, if you say so. But let's just say that it's, much, it's better, but for me, it's still a bit cold. Yeah. I mean, for the tornado one, it and here it is. It's just, it was just meh. That he, okay. that he passed away. The music for me was very generic. Structure. Maybe at the time it was maybe deemed a little bit slightly new of, you know, nah. where you build, build, build tension and intensity of the action that's going on. And then you go ksh, quiet. And we were just... Yeah, no, that's just classic Zimmer. Uh, uh, they've been doing that for years. Well, there you go. That moment of where they, it goes quiet and you have a slight single piano or a single mm. instrument with thin layers to make the audience focus on that moment purely. Yeah. It's, I, could, I could see it coming. Mm-hmm. I think in, when I, what I'm saying is like in comparison to the other contender, that's... <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, all right. Well, before we get there, I guess I should say something. Yep. <laughs> um, look, this is something that Zimmer does well. He's very famous for his whole, like, in order to see the darkness, you need to have a little bit of light. Like, that's his thing. And that switch is uh, that you talk about in Tornado, it's perfectly executed. The drop to silence, it gives you a moment to, like, you know, understand what's going on and then the you know the vocals and the very bright um, orchestration comes in and it feels like rays of light glimmering on a dark landscape like I could wax lyrical about it but at the end of the day it's only as good as the scene underneath it with a better scene this might have been a really beautiful moment as it is what it does is it shows everything up as just being a trick I think I think that's the problem with that whole sequence of as you say Kevin Costner has not been established we've got this mixed confusing messages to who Clark really sees his father as being at the best of times 
and it's just a bit chaotic. He's just had a bit of a fight, which we should have a, like a huge lot of feels about, but we don't because we've never seen them really have embrace much other each interaction. other. Yeah, so it's just it's all a bit meaningless. And then he just goes back to rescue the dog, which is like okay, great for some people, I guess, but it just feels like such a waste. The combination of that and also not letting like Superman just do his thing and save everyone for basically no emotional payoff later on either like mm. the whole the whole thing just feels it just feels manipulative it just basically seems to be it feels like oh we've we've killed off his dad so you should feel something now and I'm just like but you haven't earned it and I don't care mm. <laughs> and that's that's kind of the whole effect and yeah the, the, as I say the music could have been fine in a better scene but it's not a better scene so it's it's not enough to save it and it's just yeah it's just it slow female vocal building brass string lines bit of nervous zimmer energy yeah you've seen it before in in better films um move on <laughs> and anything about goodbye my son no no okay fair enough <laughs> same it's the same template yeah Okay, then. Um, <laughs> moving on to Logan. Yep. Um, so this one we're going to be talking about Don't Be What They Made You. And here it is. On its own, it felt simple. Place it with the visuals and of Wolverine with whom you spent a good portion of your life, well, my life, (laughs) and his life, 17 years, and the fact that he's dying and there's no turning back. I think it worked. It's so, I'm not gonna, I did cry. And at some point I was trying to decipher, what, a tear. 
a tear, a couple of tears came down. <laughs> <One>. <laughs> okay, one. I didn't want to say I cried. I mean, maybe I cried slightly more when I watched you it recently. Cry, singular. No, because of the situation of the current climate that yeah. we're living in. But when I first watched it, sure. I was just kind of like I was very, like, touched. You know. Okay. See now, I like the fact that as a standoff, that it's tame and simple mm. as opposed to this big sort of heroic or like overly epic orchestral piece i think the, the simplicity of it signifies his ultimate need and desire and achievement which for one thing is to love and belong mm-hmm. and the moment that he accepts that laura is part of him is touching yeah you know and it, it does feel, though it does feel too little too late because time had robbed them of the opportunity to be together and experience a father and daughter relationship. It's, it's both their moment of acceptance of each other and their role. And I think that when she calls him daddy, I'm just like, oh. <laughs> and just the, the music underneath it, just to give her that moment of like to say it. It, uh, normally in uh, like another sort of maybe piece of music would decide like to elevate that moment further of her saying daddy and make it really high pitched and very like almost operatic and emotionally based but it just kind of stayed mellow still I think and I I like it kind of allowed for the audience to absorb the their emotion mm-hmm. which it's weird I've read certain reviews where they uh, disagree, they would disagree they actually didn't like the fact that as a send-off like you get it it's so very low-key it's almost like very generic because it's just there's nothing it's, huh. yeah I know okay and but this is why for me it works because it's polar opposite to what people expect because it's not Wolverine he is not this bombastic sort of he's not superman he's not superman so i feel like it hits the right cues yep you know in terms of like having the emotional moment and breakthrough it does elevate it to what the audience well i hope the audience felt but yeah apparently not some of the audience (laughs) yeah well some of the audience yeah and you uh look I, i i really like it i i basically just see it as resolution like it takes this sonic fingerprint that we've been talking about the that west the western sound the dissonance the industrial metallic type elements and it just resolves it into this sense of calm it has these long calm like resolving chord notes that match the breathing of the characters for the scene i think the pacing is actually really quite brilliant in the way that it just it plays through because you've got these like long sobs particularly from um laura it doesn't try to overtake the emotion no it lets the emotion stay human yeah. and it just un- underpins it but just calmly does it so i think well, we talked about this quite a lot last week um it just it has a lot of acceptance mm. in it of this is the way this is going to play and it, it still has because it still has those sort of metallic type qualities it still has that rough wolverine edge to it it doesn't sound pretty obviously at all um but it does sound like this tired worn out broken character has just finally found the pieces that make it all come together Mm. it's simple but it needed to be simple and it's 
very just human and successful. I, I really like it. Me too. I don't think we need to say who the winner is yep. of this round. <laughs> um, so okay. <laughs> moving to our last round, which is round five, Legacy. So I think this is where it's going to get a little bit interesting. I mean, if you just look at the stats, like in turn, obviously, um, Hans Zimmer has done the most in comparison to um, Marco. I mean, Marco did 100, over 120 TV shows and like film credits and all that, blah, 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 over his 25 year career. Obviously, Hans Zimmer has probably done twice as much, if not three times, in various mm -hmm. mediums and TV, um, game, as well as film. Yep. And yep. on top of concerts he as well. He is the prolific maestro, absolutely. This is not his best, this album. Nope. And it's interesting because it's two years before 2014 Interstellar. So I almost feel like as though whether he his mantra of simplicity is equals effectiveness, like this is the moment where he was kind of like playing it, experimenting, perfecting it more in the lead up to Interstellar soundtrack. Mm. Another thing though, and I do feel whether this may have been a contribution, but do you know how many films he did in 2013? Uh, well, no it was idea. it was released in 2012, but people say 2013, whatever you want. But do you know how many films he did? Nope. Five. Wow. And then in 2010, six. And basically throughout the sort of that period, he was doing a lot of films back to back. Yes, yeah, so that post-inception period where he was just doing everything he was like on a roll and i do have a yep. fear a feeling whether that kind of contributed to this sort of lackluster like this album it mm -hmm. being a little bit like formula like he just thought oh you know what i'm gonna try and stick to a formula i may incorporate some sort of experimentation just to kind of showcase that this is who i am this is to be in in um, what's the word? In line with my usual reputation where I'm very experimental and I do something mm -hmm. different for each album to uh, to each film score to make it stand out for this particular reason. Like the way he did it with Interstellar by using a, a, mm -hmm. uh, an organ. And then with Inception, you know, it was the use of instrumentation and hmm. guitars or whatnot. Or in this film, he decided to use 12 drummers. Mm-hmm. I just it I it just didn't work. No. And I for me it was missing the emotional connection and a sense as I said before the identity for Superman and his internal troubles, being an outsider and not being accepted yet still willing to sacrifice himself to the survival of humanity. I did not get any of that in. No. So his merits as a composer is immense. I do want to point out that I feel like he hasn't actually, he doesn't write a lot of horror films, with the exception of Ring and Hannibal. <laughs> In comparison to Marco. We know how much you love that. Huh? Oh, we, know, we know how much you love yeah. his Ring. Uh, yeah, which I do, but I'm intrigued to know as to why. There must be a very good reason why he doesn't write horror films. Maybe because he's, that's not his forte. Because Marco, in comparison, he's pretty much very, very well known for his horror films because he's had a collaboration with Wes Craven because he did the Scream franchise, like Scream 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. He did The Quiet Place. He did a few other like really horror, horror films. So I think he probably has 
more sort of quality and experience and maybe a, the things that we said that lacked Marco has the mm. experience to kind of dig that out and put it to maybe. the forefront I'm a bit more forgiving than you I think <laughs> um, uh, I think Zimmer is fine here I just I just don't think the film is there uh, and like that's kind of making excuses for him I know but like I feel like Zimmer is at his best when he's working on a film that pushes the boat out a bit. Like the famous thing with um, uh, Ridley Scott and Gladiator, which I know I've talked about a few times here. Maybe I desperately want to do a Gladiator episode at some point. Sounds like it. But know that I can't do it for at least a year because, God, we talked about Hans Zimmer too much. But like famously there, like Ridley Scott had all of these like sort of quite philosophical sort of flourishes and stuff in, in Gladiator. And he was really insecure about whether or not he was going to be able to pull this off. And Hans famously pretty much said, don't worry, Ridley, I'll, 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 I'll sort this, you know, like I'll provide the music that will make you that will allow you to do th- use things like the hands in the wheat shot that otherwise would be a very dumb opening to essentially an action movie. He's able to do that. He's able to work with Christopher Nolan when he's trying to really mess with ideas in something like Interstellar or Dunkirk. Like, he has that talent to make a difficult film work in ways that possibly no other composer could. Like, other composers could come up with more interesting music, but they can't kind of save a director from themselves quite like Hans Zimmer can. This is that whole, like, when you bring Hans Zimmer on, you're basically bringing on an, another executive producer. You're not just producing, you're not just bringing in someone who can create sound for you. That is his skill. And it, this film just is not there. This film is does not, I mean, not even he could save it. It's possibly the, 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 I the wonder. thing you say. Do you think it could be the fact that it was Je- it was Zack Snyder who directed it? Yep. Because I think if the story and if it was produced, but if it was directed by Christopher Nolan, because they have that reputation that uh, that rapport already, whereby they understand each other, it would have been mm-hmm. it would have been taken to a completely different direction. Because reading about it, um, there were a few comments where. Um, Zack Snyder would kind of encourage and say, oh, more, 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 more drums, make it more like loud, make it more this. And maybe the communication got lost into what, so maybe Hans Zimmer was just basically saying, oh, you want it louder? Okay, fine, I'll make it, I'll do this if you want. This is, and yeah. as opposed, so they kind of missed the boat of trying to focus on the emotional connection element which is has been one of the downsides with the dc films up until i think wonder woman in some in yep. some ways because it was just too serious it was a little bit too generic and just it just yep. yeah i mean so maybe maybe yeah in some ways yeah that's where you can kind of allow some form of forgiveness that it just the collaboration did not work on this film yeah i think Zack snyder has his qualities as a director i thought his arrival with 300 was triumphant like that is for what it is is an amazing film mm. like it's just always on 100 percent like every single thing thrown at the screen like he, he sort of arrived as this like a new thrilling michael bay you know yeah. like just everything on and him and junkie excel like there was a certain magic to that of just this like real sort of heavy metal rock and roll kind of hardcore amazing and i feel like here he's tried to 
step back and be more nuanced. And Zimmer should be the perfect guy to be able to do that with, particularly Zimmer working with Junkie XL, which is exactly what he's got here. Like all the tools are in place. It makes sense. You can like a producer would have been sitting back just thinking all we have to do is count the money here. Like this is going to work. We've got the new action auteur. We've got the right musicians. We're throwing tons of money. We've got Oscar winners. Like this is going to be phenomenal. And it just... He couldn't bring it together. Mm. He just couldn't bring it together. And, yeah, I, I don't blame Hans for it, but it's just there's nothing here that really does it. And it's not, I mean, when you talk about legacy, like, it's not influential. It's kind of probably the end of this sort of score for superhero movies. Yeah. The best is the legacy it has, like I mentioned it already, is that Junkie XL took this heavy drum plus Zimmer sound and turned it into something amazing for Fury Road, which we have talked about in a previous episode for anyone who wants to go back and listen to our back catalogue. Mm-hmm. And that is a fantastic score, but it works for that film and it just doesn't work for this film because, again, George Miller was doing something interesting in that film. He was shaking it up. He was pushing new boundaries whilst reinventing some old stuff, in his case, his own movies in the 70s and 80s, and that made it work, but in this film, doesn't work next <laughs> exactly it's what it feels like just next it's just it kind of passes you by mm. so and you don't want your music or your film to just pass people by no so what do you think of logan though i think for the film and its aesthetic it works very well yep I, it's it, i think the style has been used many times before um as you mentioned westworld well it's pretty no, about the same time as Westworld, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like they're they're kind of it's almost like this tackling into the sort of Western Western ideology, and a few times I've seen and read how the samurai, there's a lot of those old sort of Japanese samurai-based films have they influenced mm-hmm. the Western films. Yeah, Kira Kurosawa in particular was a huge influence on the Western. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And so there's that is it re- revitalization. Sure. Is that what you call it when it gets revi- revitalization, reinvention, reinvention? Yeah, revitalized and it's reinvented and it's just it's just being brought back to the forefront into the modern age mm-hmm. and making it a little bit more contemporary. And yeah, so I think there's that legacy there for sure. Mm-hmm. Marco, I do find he's a little bit more interesting, whereby it seems like. He's seen. He's much more open to working on indie films, which are much more personal mm-hmm. on small scale, as well as this big. This is a horror thing. Yeah, yeah, as well as big studio projects, and I feel like Hans kind of. He just he just does big studio films now. Yeah. Or like video games, or like just anything to do with big studio, where you know there's the big check at the end of it. Yeah. Or anything by Christopher Nolan. Yep. Anyway, so Marco is obviously, he's very well known for his horror films like Scream and The Quiet Place. Mm-hmm. And have you watched The Quiet Place by any chance? I have not. Okay. I mean, I haven't. I started watching it, but then I stopped for some reason. I don't know. But I mean, just to be a... Hell, I got scared. No, I didn't get scared. I just got... <laughs> I think I just maybe got bored or like, I think it was uh, late. That's what people who are scared say. So. <laughs> I got bored and it was late. Yeah, that's definitely what happened. But I mean, I do want to watch, continue watching it because to see how the music carries the film where there's hardly any dialogue. I mean, I actually want mm. to try it and experience that. Because it's a very hard task because anything you compose will draw that much more attention to itself. So you have to find the right balance that has to be much more impactful to the film and entertaining that is able to kind of alter 
the viewer's consciousness at the right moments elevate them in some ways. Sure. So why I'm saying this um, is that him being given that opportunity to write a film like that, I think that's quite interesting to kind of help elevate, to take the film making, film industry, film music to the new world. It's almost like re like reinvent and not reinventing, but reintroducing the era of silent movies, but to a modern audience in the modern way. Mm -hmm. Because if a quiet place, by the sounds of it, it's almost is basically a silent a silent movie in the twenty first century. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, I mean, for me, I think I don't know whether you whether my argument kind of gives you an impression of who I'm going for. <laughs> whether do you have an idea? Do, what's your opinion of Marco? I, I as I say, I love Marco. I particularly love Marco as a um as an action writer i don't think of him personally so much as a horror writer but you make a good point that he has written quite a lot of horror music and look it makes sense that you would that someone who is good at horror would be also good at action writing because the two are very similarly dissonant and visceral and more about the feeling you impart in the audience than the melody etc i think he's been really good here i think he's been asked to take that modern sound that very you know that Johan Johansson Hilda type sound and and apply it to this and I think he does it very well and he does it as I say old school where he it's very clearly to the to the scene it's very dynamic there's a lot of movement and change and and stuff and I think that's that's really cool the the thing I probably most don't like about it and this seems to be from what I read and see around the place a bit of a endemic issue with the X-Men franchise is that there's no consistency in themes and sounds between them. They're, every X-Men movie seems to have a different composer who's just given complete free reign to do stuff. And maybe that's just because I happen to particularly like the, the X-Men theme and I, w I wish it would keep being used. But I don't know. I, I, I like there being some consistency even when you change composers. I prefer the what, like Harry, the Harry Potter, Potter ones, which Yeah, <laughs> where you keep the core themes, but each composer gets to add their own new stuff. I, mm. I, I think that's better. I like there to be some universe consistency at least within like at least within Hugh Jackman's Wolverine movies I feel like it would be nice if he was constantly appearing to the same music but rather than you know that Marco actually composed Wolverine the Japanese the first one no I thought, I thought it was someone else no 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 so he composed the music for the Japanese one as well Right. I mean, but not the, the, not the Japanese the one, but the the film, the yes. one that was called that was set, set in Japan. I think it's called The Wolverine because yes. the other one was called but Wolverine th Origin, and then this one's The Wolverine. Yeah, but the the theme is not the no, same. No, 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 it's, it's not. It's but this is what I find is quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good point, and like that's disappointing to me, right? Like, I just I, I wish there was some consistency there, but uh, look, sounds like you I, like I, order. I, I feel more as more than anything, it's a missed opportunity. It's a missed opportunity to build weight mm. to this stuff. Like, it, he does very well in this film. So, like at the end, as I said, that it feels like a resolution in that final scene as he dies. Uh, but how much better a resolution would it have been if it had been resolving seventeen years rather than seventy minutes? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, mm. makes it a bit less of a legacy, getting back to the actual point of the round, just because it doesn't carry this cross-movie meta weight, as it were. So really all I can say, too long didn't read, is that I really like the way that Marco Beltrami took very modern sounds from the last couple of years of movies and applied them to a very 80s style and technique and actually makes them work mm. perfectly. 
in a way that we're not going to see many other composers do, I don't think, because I don't think many other people have that skill set anymore. And probably more the point, I don't know if action films are really made this way anymore. And so the opportunity doesn't come up so often. Mm. So I'm look, I'm going to go for Beltrami because I agree that it's in the, in the huge oeuvre that is Hans Zimmer scores. This one's never going to get a mention. Wow. That's basically concludes that five rounds to Logan. <laughs> that, I don't think we've ever had that. We've never had a whitewash. No, wow. we have never had a whitewash. This is why I'm just like, what the hell, guys? Why did you make us do Man of Steel? I, I, I'm almost questioning why you even put it up there as an option. But I'm not going to direct my anger. Well, the reason, no, 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 the reason why I put it as an option is because we already did The Dark Knight. Can you think of any other DC film? I would never, ever, ever do Justice League. Or Suicide Squad. Or Suicide Squad. <laughs> Because yeah, look, you've got a good point. There's no, uh, there were no other options from the DC world. Marvel a little bit more because they had more movies, but at the same time, and presumably you didn't want to do the classic Superman movies, so you wanted to do one of the more modern ones that is more contemporary to Marvel. So mm-hmm. yeah, I guess you're right. So yeah, yeah, all right. But- Logan, it is. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Well done, Logan. What a great send off as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well deserved. Thanks, huge. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, shout out to everyone at home. I mean, what the hell? Like, did, did we get this completely wrong? Are we just... <laughs> Are like, we talking our horses? Are we, like, talking bullshit? <laughs> did yeah, we, did, has, did has, we listen to the right soundtrack, as some of you might yeah, be thinking? Has, has lockdown just messed with our brains? Do we not have a soul? I, I, I don't know. I mean, please, let, let us know where we went wrong here, because I just could not find anything redemptive about Man of Steel at all but your mileage may vary please let us know and if we have to do a half hour groveling apology episode where we just say look Hans is a genius and for all these reasons fine I'll do that yeah but I need to see a reason why this is a score worth listening to that somehow makes it not just one of the films he did in between Interstellar and um, Inception which I think is all it is okay well then tell us Tristan what are we talking about next month then Yes, yeah, so next month, uh, this, will be, this will be fun. So usually through the middle of the year, we like to sort of talk about the big blockbusters, things that people are going going to the cinema to see, that kind of thing. Obviously, no one's going to the cinema at the moment. So what I instead did was I had a bit of a look at, like, what what are the most watched movies on pretty much Netflix around the world at the moment? And I was actually quite surprised to find that one of the most watched movies, in fact, it seems to be the most watched movie. Maybe other people have seen better stats, but this one, like five different places are reporting this is the most watched film. Wow, I've explained this too many times. It's Public Enemies, the gangster movie from 2009 with um, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. Really? Uh, in the UK, yeah. in the US, and everywhere? Yeah, everywhere that I could see that this was coming up as being like most watched stuff on Netflix. Obviously, all the TV shows, Tiger King, Michael Jordan documentary, whatever. But Public Enemies was the number one film. It just kept on popping up. So look, I haven't seen Public Enemies. I thought, let's have, let's have a look. Let's have a look. And it's got music by someone that you're quite fond of. And I've always mentioned before is one of the most underrated composers in Hollywood on our long list of composers you've never heard of. Do you want to do you want to reveal who composed the music for Public Enemies? It is Elliot Goldenthrall. Yeah. 
very, very cool. And I thought, well, we obviously we need to pair him up with another great film to, to compare. And what better film in the gangster genre than another film by a composer who's, okay, most definitely famous and well-known, but basically for this one film, so we're not, well, for the, for these films, and so we're not going to talk about him in any other context. It is uh, Nino Rota's score for the 1972 classic The Godfather. Mm, amazing so, film. I know. So next month, Public Enemies versus The Godfather. I am looking forward to I have not seen The Godfather in a long time. I don't know if I've ever seen the whole thing in one sitting. And I've not seen Public Enemies. I am intrigued as to where this will go. I'm genuinely excited in a way that I was not for this for this current month. <laughs> It'll be good watching, that's for sure. I think so. I can I, guarantee you'll, you'll have a good time. Because I've so. seen both films. Yeah. Oh, good. So it'll be nice to re-watch them again and kind mm-hmm. of have more a critical... Have a more of a critical mind watching them and listening to the music. So, mm. yeah. Cool. Looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. But until next month, goodbye. Bye.